Turn with me to the book of Colossians. Let's go to chapter 2. And Lord willing, we want to take our study to uh, verse 1 through verse 10. We want to look at all the wisdom in Jesus Christ. Now, when we begin here in chapter 2, Paul is dealing with a Colossian church, such love and compassion that he has for them. What's interesting, and we shared this in our introduction, Paul's never met those at the church at Colossae. Paul is in prison, according to the book of Acts. He's in house arrest for a two-year span. There, God has Paul to write four prison epistles. And so even through that trial, God has a purpose and a reason. And Paul's purpose to write to the Colossians and to the church at Laodicea, there was a group called Gnostics. And the Gnostics uh, believed in salvation was knowledge. And so the word gnosko is, is to know. And so Paul was dealing with that. We saw that in chapter 1, the preeminence of Christ. He brought out that Jesus is deity. We're going to see that even uh, this morning in the chapter. But now another group of uh, people come into the picture, and they're called the philosophers of the time. And so Paul's going to deal with this area, the philosophies of man or the wisdom of God. Now we need certain training and we need certain schools and educations and such and, and degrees if, if that's where God leads you. But how can we do these things without the power of God? How can we do these, you know, get all the education we can without the knowledge of God? We need the wisdom of God. And so Paul, if anybody could write on this subject, it was him. As we speak of him as Saul of Tarsus, he was a very learned man, considered a doctor of the law. Paul belonged to the Sanhedrin. He belonged to the Pharisees, a group that was very strict in the law. He, was, he considered himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul studied under a man called Gamaliel that was uh, considered the beauty of the law. That's what he was called. He was a tremendous teacher. Paul probably was one of his best students. And so there on the road to Damascus, Paul comes to saving grace. And all the philosophies of man and all the training of man basically was washed away. And now Paul had to trust God by faith. And we know according to the book of Galatians, Paul goes to Arabia and he receives instructions from God. And God speaks to him clearly. I believe that uh, there was an appearance of Christ himself that Paul was taught personally. And so imagine now as Paul has to deal with this. And so I want to begin here in Colossians chapter 2 in verse 1. And the caption in my Bible says, Not the philosophy of man, but the wisdom of God. And you're going to see that it's a form of prayer that Paul's going to do. Look at verse 1. For I want you to know. What a great conflict I have for you and those in Laodicea and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh. This was an issue for Paul. He's pinning, pinning this letter. Epaphras takes the letter. Paul didn't even plant the church there. But he heard of their testimony and their love for Jesus. And so Paul is looking at their concerns about these false teachers but look at how Paul says here 
that he had, he had great conflict. And what the, chap, the, the chapter is going to begin to address Paul's heart. Paul's heart was in great conflict here. The Greek word is agon. And where we get the word agony uh, in our English vocabulary. And so Paul was in agony. Paul was in anguish. He agonized uh, over these Colossians. Such a love. Now, the term agon was also used in the athletic field. It spoke about the athletes that they felt such pain from training and competing. And so Vine's Dictionary says uh, Paul had this conflict of soul over the church. His deep care for the church at Colossae and also at Laodicea. And yet most of the saints had never seen him. Paul had never seen them. And yet there was this beautiful faith that was working in action between the both. Notice verse 2, and you'll see the prayer now. And this is what Paul's prayer is for the church at Colossae, that their hearts may be uh, encouraged, comforted, being knit together in love, and attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. Paul's further prayer here now. He prayed for them. He agonized for them in verse 1. That your hearts here, he says, may be knit together. Knit together in love. The word is agapeo love, divine love. But the word knit is translated joined together, compacted together. And because he's speaking about teaching ministry, instructions are taught together in God's divine love. I want them to have full confidence. The word is assurance. Because they have complete understanding of God's mystery. And we've been developing that in the book of Colossians, the mystery of the church. You see, there are many mysteries in Scripture when you begin to go through the Bible. But a mystery in Scripture is a previously hidden truth, listen now, now divinely revealed to you by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you've been a Christian long enough and you come and you study the Word of God or you open the Word of God on your own, the Word of God speaks to you. It ministers to you. And before, those things were mysteries. They were foreign to you. But now God is speaking clearly to your heart. I love when a, a believer comes up to me and maybe they've been a Christian six months, eight months, a year. And they've been coming, they've been studying, and then all of a sudden they've been developing a devotional time, going through the scriptures on their own. And they'll come and they'll declare, you know, Pastor Bob, I remember when you shared that, that God will speak to us, and I'll tell you what, I can't put the book down. Seems like God is speaking to me continually. And it seems that God has a lot to say to me personally, and it's when you take that attitude that God will speak to you. And so Paul's concern uh, to teach the mysteries of God, and he did, and they received it. Now, these mysteries were called secret plans in the Greek, and this secret plan is Christ. They had to come to the understanding that Jesus is salvation, that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus is this Messiah, that he is deity, that he is the incarnate God. 
And we're going to see this morning. And in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so Paul's uh, concern for the church at Colossae, he gave them Jesus Christ crucified, died, buried, and resurrected. The doctrine of the resurrection, Paul so beautifully taught it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says, if there is no resurrection, then we are men and women most miserable. And that's the key to our Christianity. The core to our Christianity is the risen Christ. But notice he goes on into verse 3. In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. All of this is hidden in Christ. But now divinely revealed to you. All of this now is hidden in you and others don't see it. Because they can't believe by faith. I have often taught from the pulpit that it's obvious we need education. And if God gives you uh, the capacity as a student and you have the ability, then go to school. Get the degree. Get the education. Get all the schooling you can. Get all the training that you can. But please, never leave the wisdom of God out of your education. I love when I meet a man or a woman and they're business-minded and you find out they're Christian and they put their Christianity first and in their business walk, we see it flourish because they have this wisdom of God and they seek the wisdom of God. Oh, they have all the credentials on their wall. They got all the training. But it's God that takes them through it. And so this is what Paul is speaking about here. And he's speaking about God's hidden treasures, his wisdom, his knowledge in the hearts of man. And Christ gives this to us, church. There's a beautiful passage, and I have to share it with you this morning. Mark it down. Let me read it to you. In Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus is speaking of having all this knowledge, having everything of the world, but without Christ. Listen to the verse. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman? Uh, to gain the whole world, but to lose their very soul. And so let's uh, apply it to this morning's verse. What does it profit a man or a woman to gain all the knowledge and all the wisdom of the world and to lose his or her own very soul? There's a lot of smart people, intelligent people in this world. There's a lot of scientists and such. But do they know Christ? One of the things that's been taking place in Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, there's a lot of evolutionists that have come to know Christ. They look into the scriptures and they're looking into disproving, you know, creation. And in the process, they get saved. And then God transforms them. And they go back to their peers and they say, no, it's not about evolution. I was wrong. It's about creation. And generally, they're blackballed. But it's a radical statement here. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his own soul? The Gnostics were very much uh, into their belief system that knowledge was their salvation. And now we're going to study about the philosophers. 
Paul dealt with the philosophers back in Mars Hill in Acts chapter 17. He was dealing with them at the Corinthian level. And the philosophers at the time, the Gnostics at the time, we still have them today. It has not changed. I want you to turn with me uh, to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And here Paul deals at the church at Corinth with the worldly philosophers and their wisdom. Paul was no slouch when it came to this area because he was very educated. And he knew all about the sciences. He knew all about the philosophies of man. In fact, if you recall, when Paul did go to Athens and he was able to speak and he brought forth truth because they would have their soapbox, basically, and the philosophers would come there at Mars Hill and, and they would bring out their, you know, wisdom. The Stoics, the Epicureans, the Plato's. I mean, they were into everything. And Paul spoke about the unknown God to them. And remember at the conclusion there at Athens, the, uh, the great minds. They said, we will hear this babbler. That's what they call Paul. We will hear this babbler another time. But they heard him out because that was uh, generally what took place uh, every day there at the forum. But look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We begin in verse 18. And Paul says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us, listen to this, to the church, who are being saved, it is the power of God. Before we came to Christ, the preaching of the cross, maybe you just shunned it, or maybe you're like uh, the philosophers here. The Greeks considered it silliness. Imagine the gospel message being silly, the cross being silly. It's no difference today. It's still taking place. And then Paul goes on, for it is written, and then he quotes, and I like this, Isaiah chapter 29, verse 14. I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing all the understanding to the understanding of the prudent. So what he's saying here, all the powers, all the philosophers then and now, all the intellects then and now, all the wisdom of man. For the last 2,000 years as we read the New Testament, God says, I will destroy it. You see, imagine going uh, to Judgment Day and you happen to take all your degrees and achievements with you. Is your name written in the book of life? That's the only thing that's going to count for. And so I will destroy all of this. Look at verse 20. And Paul asks a question. Where's the wise? Where's the scribe? The scribe was the copyist of the law at the time. Where's the disputer of the age? These are those philosophers. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? The scholars the philosophers, the thinkers, unless they come uh, to Christ, they are nullified. Your knowledge will not save you. That's what he's trying to say. And Paul came to grips with that. Look at verse 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through, the, uh, through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. I like this here. Paul, if anybody, was a very learned man. We know that. 
But Paul brought forth the message of the gospel, the message of the cross, in simplicity. And that's the way the gospel should be preached. The gospel is presented in the simplest form. And then man must respond by faith. Paul did, but so many others had not. And then he goes on to the two groups at the time. These same two groups exist today. Verse 22, for the Jews require a sign, and the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. All the Jews love signs, miracle signs and wonders. And the Gentiles or the Greeks, they seek the philosophies of worldly man. And I was thinking of the Jews that were there at the time in the New Testament. When Lazarus came forth after being in the grave for three to four days there. Did they come to saving grace? Is it the miracle signs and wonders that are going to save you? I remember a good friend of mine years back said, you know, when God speaks to me, then I'm going to come to saving grace. And I said, Lord, appear to him at night in thunderstorm, Lord. Appear to him in flames, Lord. And you know, the Bible says that God comes, listen, in a small, still voice. You know, so many times we want, you know, the Hollywood scene. This is the Lord, and the burning bush is speaking to you. But can we believe by faith? And so the Jews require a sign. The Greeks seek after wisdom. But listen to what Paul says, verse 23. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, to the Gentiles, again, foolishness, silliness. To the Jews, the gospel was an offense then. It's still an offense today. And to the Greeks, again, silliness, fairy tales, myths. You guys believe that? And yet we believe by faith. Notice he goes on, verse 24. But to those, I like this, who are called both Jew and Gentile, because God is no respecter of persons. Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. To the believer. Paul was speaking to the church at Colossae. He's the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning. To the believer, be a Jew or Gentile. It's the power of God that we've come to saving grace. This word, power, it's dunamis. His Holy Spirit, the spiritual wisdom that God gives us. And now, they're not hidden treasures or hidden secrets. But now, it speaks to our hearts in clarity. This is the wisdom of God. Now we come to the conclusion of uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 25 is precious. The Greek translation is very rich here. Listen to what it says. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than any man, and the weakness of God is stronger than any man. But you need to look at the translation. And this is what it's saying. The word if is conditional. He says, if God had any stupidity, that's the word foolishness. If God had any stupidity, he would still be wiser than any man. I like that. And again, in the Greek structure, if God had any weakness, we know that God's not weak, but if God had any weakness, any feebleness, he would still be stronger, powerful than any man. And so where are the philosophers at the time? Where are the philosophers even today? And it just seems if you have these ideas and these philosophies and, and these words that entice, and we're going to read that, 
people flock to these things. I mean, how many people turn, you know, the TV on every day to listen to Dr. Phil? And if Dr. Phil doesn't have the answer, Oprah has the answer. Has anybody opened the Bible and see what the Bible, the scriptures have to say? Look at verse 4. Let's go back to our text now. And before I read this, I want you to think. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. And we know that the serpent, Lucifer, the devil himself, he comes to Eve. And he entices her with flowery speech. But he uses scripture. And he uses half-truth. And he uses half-lies. That's the enemy. And so... In verse 4, it says, Now, this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. If you have a King James, the word beguile. Should beguile you with persuasive words. So Paul's warning the church at Colossae. Be careful with deception. People were, are going to deceive you with persuasive words. Uh, the translation there, with enticing words. Words that are going to tickle your ears. Language that subdues, language that allures, language that entraps, language that deludes, gives you half-truth, half-lie. Language to lead you astray from the truth of Scripture or the truth of God. Jesus was teaching concerning deception. If you'd like, turn with me real quick to Matthew chapter 24, but I'm just going to give you four verses out of there. In Matthew 24, we know that it's a very prophetic chapter. And basically, the disciples are asking, what's going to happen in the last days? And Jesus goes on and says, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be great earthquakes. There's going to be famines. We all know that. They, they make movies of all these things. But one thing I caught, and I've been taught before, Jesus speaks of deception. You see, church, if you don't know your word, you don't study your word it's so easy to be deceived remember just a few years back if you've been in the church long enough the church was inundated with holy laughter and you would come to church for a two hour span and you would laugh and wail and howl and and roll on the floor bark like a dog act like a chicken that's god that has to do with scripture no that's the stupidity of man but everybody would flock to it. And what about the Word of God? So Jesus warns in Matthew chapter 24. We begin in verse 4. And he says, take heed that no man deceives you. The word take heed. Take heed to what the Holy Spirit is sharing with the church. Uh, the same phrase is used to the seven churches in Asia Minor. Back in Revelation uh, chapters 2 and 3. Take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. And so Jesus says here, take heed that no man deceive you. That no man leads you astray. That no man delude the scriptures. In verse 5, he says, many shall come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And he shall deceive many. Again, deception. So Jesus wants the disciples to know. He wants us to know. Be careful with deception. Now, jump ahead to verse 11. Many false prophets shall arrive and deceive again. Many. 
You know, when I see that uh, the scriptures are repeated twice, but now here in Matthew 24, the word deception or the word to deceive is brought forth four times. God is telling us something because it's going to happen. And then he goes into verse 24, the conclusion. For false Christs, false prophets will arise and show great signs, miracle signs and wonders. And they're going to deceive. Listen, if possible, the very elect. Speaking of the church during that time. There'll be many Christians during the time of the seven years of tribulation. Christians that got saved during the time of the tribulation. Christians that were Christians, but maybe they never made that commitment to Christ. But man, you're going to have to know your word. And see, right now, Israel is waiting for Messiah. They're waiting for Messiah. We know that Messiah has come. He is Christ. But the Messiah that they're going to receive, he is called the Antichrist. And so in Matthew 24, he warns you. He tells you, do not be deceived. I mean, look today. I mean, cults are visible and alive here on planet Earth right now. Paul's dealing with the church at Colossae. And he was dealing with these issues of, of philosophies and philosophers that were bringing this forth. And then the Gnostics, they were denying the deity of Christ. Now I want you to turn to another passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, I just needed to go to these passages uh, to develop all this because it's so vital to the teaching. And so now Paul is going to be speaking again. This simplicity of the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, look at verse 1 with me. And I, brethren, when I came to you, uh, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. And yet Paul was a learned and a taught man. But he's going to clarify it. He says, but I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul's educated. A lot of scholars call Paul a doctor of the law himself. Paul was very religious, a Sanhedrin, and he belonged to uh, the Pharisees of Pharisees. But after his salvation in Acts chapter 9, the road to Damascus, Paul just wanted to preach, listen, the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on, gives a little testimony. Look at verse 3. I was with you in weakness, in fear, in much trembling. This is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord that Paul faced because there were those that wanted to kill him. Then he says in verse 4, and my speech. Paul could probably share with the best of them. In Athens, he was talking to the philosophers. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human uh, wisdom. They were not with enticing words, entrapments but in demonstration of the spirit of power. I gave you the plain word, Paul said. In Acts chapter 20, Paul said uh, his farewell message to the Ephesian elders, and he says, man, I gave you the full counsel of God for a three-year span. And yet Paul was a learned man, a teacher of the law, but he gave the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ crucified, buried, resurrected than his ascension look at the conclusion verse 5 that your faith that your faith should not be in the wisdom of man but in the power of God be careful 
with the wisdom of the world. Be careful with the wisdom of man. But bring forth the wisdom of God through the power of God. Again, I don't like to take away from education. We need as much as possible. But never let it take over uh, your salvation. Well, I'm smarter now. I figured it out more. Man, we still need Christ. We still need the simplicity of the gospel message. We still need to believe, believe, listen, by faith. And this is what Paul was bringing forth uh, to the Colossians and to the church at Laodicea, what Paul was bringing forth uh, to the Corinthians. The Corinthians, uh, they had so much corruption in the church. The simplicity of the gospel. Now, he says here in verse 5, the power of God. The word is dunamis, the word power. That God enables us to understand his word. That God gives us the power to understand his word. I mean, if you've been coming to church long enough and you're studying the word with us, I mean, there's times you'll just go, man, I didn't know that. I know that now. That God has taught us that. And it's clear to me. It's not a hidden secret. It's not something that, you know, only the pastors know or, or only the, the bishops know. But the simplicity of the gospel is for man. This is why we need to read our word. This is why we need to study our word. Now, I have no other choice. I only know how to bring forth the simplicity of the gospel. But I imagine Paul, such a learned man, he had to change positions. And just to bring forth the simple truth, the gospel, the good news. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. Jesus resurrected to give you life. Now let's go back to our text. Look at verse 5. And again, Paul's dealing with the Colossians. He he yearned to be with them. He was in conflict. He agonized for them. In verse 5 he says, For though I am absent in the flesh, brings it forth again, yet I am with you in spirit rejoicing to see your good order, speaking of good order in the Lord, and their steadfastness in the Lord of your faith in Christ Jesus. Paul was away from them. He wanted to be there with them. You know, my wife and I experience that sometimes when, you know, our home is in California with all the family, and there's, there's not always a time that we can be there. We cherish when we can be there, and you miss that. So I can imagine Paul, he wanted to be with the Colossians. He doesn't even know them. But he got good reports of them. And man, I heard about your your love for Christ. I heard about your position there. And, And so Paul is giving insight here. His heart was with them, even though he was not with them physically. I'm there in spirit. I'm just rejoicing over what's going on in your life. To the church at Colossae. He says that their good order, their rank in Christ, that's the translation, and your steadfastness, listen to the translation, their confirmation, their establishment, their foundation, that's the best translation. Their foundation was in Christ, their faith in Christ. Paul rejoiced over their salvation. One of my commentaries said this about verse 5. Listen to the simplicity here. I rejoice as if I saw your order. Paul uh, saw their order there at the Church of Colossae. He had such confidence that everything would be done among them as becomes Christians. 
that he could rejoice as if he actually was there. You see, Paul received from Epaphroditus, brought forth the news of what was going on at Colossae, but also the Holy Spirit was speaking to Paul. Listen, Paul, I know you're frustrated that I have you here for, you know, a two-year span, but you're going to write some neat letters to some churches that need to hear. Now, I don't think God told him in that sense, but that's what I think Paul's receiving. And Paul penned these letters. He's hurting here, church. He wants to be with a Colossus, Colossus, Colossi church there. You say it too many times in a tongue tides. <laughs> now, let's go back to our text, verse 6 now. And he's going to speak about their salvation. As you, therefore, speaking to the church of Colossae, to us this morning, as you, therefore, have received Christ Jesus, the Lord. So now it's time. Walk in him. Remember the word walk? It's our manner of life. I'm afraid too many people get saved, even from one Sunday to the next. And according to uh, Matthew chapter 13, the parable of the sower of the seed, the enemy comes and so quickly takes away that seed that was planted. That's why Paul says we have to work at our salvation with fear and trembling. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, the Lord so now walk in him. Paul says since you have received Christ, you're born again of the Holy Spirit now. Now start walking with Christ. Now, I love this verse. I'm going to share it with you real quick. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, Paul tells the church at Ephesus, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that of not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. In verse 9, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You see, if our works saved us, we would boast of it. We would accomplish it. If I could give so much money to be saved, I would do it. If I could clean the church so much that I could get saved, I would do it. But we are saved by grace through faith. And then he clarifies it in verse 10, for we are his workmanship. I love that Greek word. It's poema. We are God's poem. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus for good works. Good works are going to come automatically after saving grace. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so here, in verse 6, Paul is saying, okay, I understand. Church at Colossae, you're believers in Christ Jesus. Calvary Chapel, you're believers in Christ Jesus. But now, walk in the Lord. The best translation, I shared it earlier, it's your manner of life. Walk in the Lord. Walk in the spirit of faith. Walk in Him. His meaning is simple. Seeing you have embraced the doctrine of Christ, continue to hold it fast and to walk the walk of a believer in Christ Jesus. I believe it's so sad that so many in the church they just sit. We should do what God's called us to do. Each one of you have a calling. God places that. You're called to pray. You're called to read. You're called to study. You're called to give. You're called to, to witness, to share. Maybe you'll never get in the pulpit. Maybe you'll never have a Bible study. But we are called. Don't just sit and hoard your salvation. You should be blessed and say, Lord, you saved me. I, I want to see others saved. 
When I came home, I had to tell my brother because I knew what sin he was in. He was in the same sin I was in. When I went back to work, I had to tell my peers because they were doing exactly what I was doing. We should be concerned. Look at verse 7 now. He spoke about their walk. They're believers. Now they're Christians, right? And now he's encouraged them walk in Christ. And then he tells you why. Rooted and built up in him. Established in the faith. As you have been taught. And you come to Calvary Chapel, you're going to get taught. Any of the Calvary chapels. Abounding in it with thanksgiving. The word rooted now. On your own, study Psalm 1. The man that was rooted and he was planted by the, the river and the tree just brought forth, you know, its nourishment and the roots grew. But the word rooted here becomes stable, built up in him, built up in Christ. Or I like the Greek translation, be built upon him. Established, the word is confirmed. You are confirmed in the faith, is secured in the faith because you have been taught the word of God. I often tell new believers, I say, listen, give God six months. Study the word every day. When I got saved, they told me to read the gospel of John. I had a living translation because King James, I didn't understand it. I still don't. But the living translation was just simple. And I started reading the Gospel of John. I couldn't put it down, church. And I went to church the next week. I go, hey, I've read through the Gospel of John. What do you want me to do? And they said, go to the book of Acts. Now study the early church. And when you're through with the book of Acts, go back to the Gospel of John. And then read the book of Acts again. I've been doing that ever since. You can't get enough. The Gospel of John shows us uh, who Christ is. John spoke of Jesus' ministry and such love and compassion. And then the early church in the book of Acts, it it just shows you what the power of the Holy Spirit, how the church uh, took off. And so we walk in Christ, rooted and grounded, established in Him. And notice he uses the word to abound. Abound or to increase with thanksgiving. Gratitude. Oh, Lord, thank you that you saved me. Lord, thank you that you saved my wife or or the husband. Thank you, Lord, you saved my children. Thank you, Lord, I'm going to believe by faith that you're going to save them if they're not saved. But be thankful, church. We have so much to be thankful. We should be so thankful because of what God has done in and through you because of Christ. I know November wasn't that far back. But we're so thankful at Thanksgiving. And your families invite you over. They know you're a churchgoer. And they'll even ask you to pray. And you're so thankful. Oh, Lord, bless this bird. And Lord, bless the games that we're going to watch throughout the whole day. But we get to pray. And we get to be thankful. But what happens after that? And I hope you got up this morning and said, Lord, thank you. We looked out this morning. It was so beautiful here in the Southwest. If I was in Southern California, I'd have to say, Lord, thank you for the smog. (laughs) Some of you know what I'm talking about. (laughs) Albert Barnes. I love Albert Barnes. He's an old commentary. Listen to what he says about verse 7. Verse 7 concerning thanksgiving. Expressing overflowing thanks to God. 
that you have been made acquainted with truth so precious and glorious. If there is anything for which we ought to be thankful, it is for the knowledge of the great truth respecting our Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord that he's given us the message. If you study how this Bible was put together, you will find that a lot of blood was shed. Yes, the blood of Christ. But there's a lot of men, a lot of women that died that we would get this Bible in its entirety. And we're told still that the Bible is the best-selling book of all time. But do we read it? Do we make application? James says, don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. Oh, I love the word of God, and you should fall in love with it uh, just as well. Look at verse 8. Let's continue. And Paul goes back to the philosophers at the time, uh, the Gnostics at the time. Beware lest any man cheat you uh, through philosophy and empty deceit. Now, if you have a King James, vain deceit. According to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul goes back to the false teachers now, the philosophers of the time. The heresy of Gnosticism, the heresy of philosophy that was there uh, at Corinth, that was also uh, at Colossae. And Paul speaks about how they came with enticing words. The traditions of men. And the Jews are very traditional. Uh, your ethnic backgrounds, we all have traditions. You know, we had Thanksgiving, certain traditions. Uh, you, we had Christmas, certain traditions. Easter's coming, again, traditions. We have to be careful because basically there are good traditions and then there are bad traditions. And so we have to take heed. What do the scriptures have to say? After the traditions of men and the rudiments or the elements of the world, the cosmos, Paul does not condemn tradition in itself, but rather contrasts with the heresy, the tradition after Christ, which the Colossians had received. There is then a proper tradition, and there is traditions that can harm and lead astray. Notice that Paul says the traditions, the philosophies, some of them were empty deceit. Empty delusion that can take away from the word of God. Again, back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man, the gospel was diluted. Lucifer spoke to Eve, but he diluted it. Gives you half truth, half lies. That's how the enemy works. From time to time, I, I enjoy the New Living Translation. Uh, talk about the simplicity. Now, obviously, there are some translations, and it goes off the deep end. But listen to the New Living Translation concerning verse 8. Don't let anyone lead you astray with empty philosophy and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the evil powers of the world and not from Christ. Oh, that is so true. You see, church, we have to trust God. We have to trust uh, his word. And let me just encourage you. Man will always deceive you. But Christ 
will always give you the truth. And if I ever deviate from the word, if I ever go so far uh, to the right or to the left, it doesn't matter. Man, you better check and, and make sure that I'm, I'm not doing that. Make sure. Let somebody know. I do not want to deceive. But man is capable. It happens. Oh, the fire's over here. No, the fire's over there. Oh, have you heard this teaching? Have you heard this new doctrine? I don't see no new doctrine. We have 66 books. There are, new, there are no new revelations. And yet they appear. They appear. People are gullible. They follow them if they don't know the word of God. Be careful. And so Paul was dealing with the philosophers at the time, the Gnostics of the time, and they brought in enticing words with empty deceit. Notice verse 9. And then Paul goes back to the Godhead, to the deity of Christ. For in him, speaking of Christ, in him dwells all the fullness of God, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And I like this. In Christ, we find the Godhead bodily. We find God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. A lot of people struggle with that. Now, to clarify what we're teaching here, turn with me quickly to John chapter 14, verses 8 through 11. Listen to the words of Christ. He's dealing with Philip, one of the disciples, but at the same time, all the disciples, and even here, us this morning. And Philip's asking a good question. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, you should be at John 14, 8. Philip said to Jesus, Lord, show us the Father, and it is sufficient for us. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have, you, you have not known me? Philip, he's addressing him. He who has seen me has seen the Father, so how can you say, show us the Father? In verse 10, he says, Do you not believe that I am the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I speak to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the work. These are radical statements. Look at verse 11. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus was with them for three and a half years. We know that miracle signs and wonders. Church, if I go to a picnic with 5,000 people and nobody has enough food to feed them and a little boy comes up with a couple of fish and some bread and Jesus multiplies it, shouldn't we follow this Messiah? And then, to top it off, there was 12 baskets, leftovers. Then he does it another time. He feeds the multitudes. He's on the boat with his disciples, and he calms the sea. Goes to Lazarus' house. Lazarus, come forth. Shouldn't that have been enough to believe that he was and he is the Messiah? Now, let's conclude this morning. Look at verse 10. Go back to our text. And you are complete in him. And he speaks of Christ like this. Who is the head? 
of all principality and all powers. I like that. Because of Jesus, because he is deity, because he is the incarnate God, and in him dwells uh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Christ, the permanent house is Christ. That's all we need. Jesus is over all powers, all authorities. The words here, Jesus is over all angelic authority, good or evil. He is over all powers, all authority, that we are complete, finished, done in Christ. Remember we shared last week, we are continually being completed. We are continually being reconciled, changed, transformed. But one day, we're going to hear those words. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter the glory of God. You see, to enter the kingdom of God is our completeness. But Satan, Lucifer, he's the accuser of the brethren. Now, Jesus is over all the angelic beings. If you go back to Ezekiel chapter 28... Lucifer was in charge of the music in heaven. And then you go to Isaiah chapter 14, and we know that Lucifer desires to take the throne of God, and we have the five I wills of Lucifer. Well, God kicks him out of the kingdom. And then you go to Revelation chapter 12, and we see the great dragon. It's Lucifer. It's Satan. It's the devil himself. And with his tail, he took a third of the stars with him. Those were the third of the angels that were in heaven. So we have uh, the bad angelic beings, the evil angelic beings, and we have the good angelic beings. Now, I believe Michael and Gabriel were the archangels. And I believe there was a third archangel, and it's possibly that it was Lucifer, but he fell from grace because he desired to take over God. And you are complete in him, the head, this authority over all principality. We're complete in Christ. We shared lives. We're reconciled in Christ. But I'm not done. In a sense, the Greek is saying, I'm being completed. I'm being reconciled. In a sense, I'm being saved. I am saved, but I'm being saved. We're going to get to heaven one day. Now, I want you to turn to this last passage. We're going to finish here. Matthew chapter 25. Verses 21 through 23, I just want to touch it quickly. You've studied this before. It's the parable of the talents. We see three servants, and we see the master gives to the first servant five talents. To the second servant, he gives two talents. To the third, he gives one talent. And he tells them, go put them to work for me. And I want you to see the results. Verse 21 says, and his Lord said to him, Speaking of the one that received five talents, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. And here's the key. Enter in uh, to the joy of the Lord. And then he goes on to the second servant. He also, who had received uh, two talents, he says, came and he said, Lord, you delivered uh, to me two talents. He says, look, I have gained two more talents besides them. Verse 23, and the Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Oh, I want to hear those words one day. 
And you see, it doesn't matter if God gives you five talents, if God gives you two talents, or God gives you one talent. It's not about how many talents you were given. God will give you what you can work with. But don't go bury that talent. That's what happened to the third servant. And the last servant buried the one talent. The master took it and gave it to the other servant. Look at verse 30. And cast the unprofitable servant into the outer darkness, and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And so he was cast into hell. Because he did not take the word of God. He buried it. And I'm afraid there's too many people. Oh, they get caught up in the philosophies of man. Get caught up in the the Gnosticism of man. Well, Jesus is a good man. And they bury what they know. And they don't come to saving grace. And so Paul's dealing with a group of people. And they needed to come to saving grace. Some. Some of them were being enticed by uh, the Gnostics and the philosophers at the time. Today it's still the same. If we don't know our word, we are going to be enticed. Persuasive language. Oh, that sounds good. You see, people don't want to hear about the cross today. People don't want to hear about hell today. People want to, pastor, make me feel good. Well, I have a responsibility. And so as we go through the scriptures, we can't apologize. I thank God that he led me to Calvary Chapel many, many, many years ago. And I received the word of God and you received. That's all I know to do. To lay out topicals, it's hard for me. But I love just the flow of going through Colossians chapter 1, Colossians chapter 2, and then we'll continue until it's finished. We're going to begin, you know, 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel on Wednesday nights, but it's just going to flow. Just as it did, we just studied the four chapters of the book of Ruth, one chapter at a time. It's beautiful. You can't go wrong. But if you're going to just hit and miss, well, God speak to me today. And Judas went out and hung himself. No, speak to me again, Lord. We've got to get the full counsel of God, right? The full counsel of God. Let's all stand. We're going to end with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and your grace, your love and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for the simplicity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But, Lord, as we do every Sunday morning, I want to give that opportunity. Maybe somebody's here this morning. And still has not made that commitment to Christ. You know all about Jesus. You know all about the Gospels. You know what Paul had to say. But have you received Christ? Be it young or old. Please don't leave here without Christ. But I can't force you. But I'm going to ask you. Right there where you're at. I'll say a simple prayer with you. I'm not going to ask you to come up. If you want to receive Christ this morning, indicate by raising your hand, and I will say a quick prayer with you. Anybody here this morning, before we leave, just raise your hand and we'll say a quick prayer. Anybody. Praise the Lord. Then if we're all Christian, let's give thanks to the Lord. Father, I thank you for your beautiful saints here this morning. Lord, I thank you for their salvation. Maybe somebody listening to the CD later has not made that commitment. They can come to Christ right there where they're at in the comfort of their own home or their own vehicle. But Father, thank you for your salvation. 
in our hearts, Lord. Thank you for the power of your Holy Spirit. And if we've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if we've never received the power of God's Spirit in my life, then all we have to do is ask. Lord, we ask you this morning, baptize those that need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And so, Father, we're so grateful this morning. Lord, bless your people as they've come, Lord. Father, as we conclude the service with the offerings, Lord, as you've given to us, we give back a portion. Bless the offerings, Lord. We love you because you first loved us. And we're so thankful, so grateful. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And we all agree by saying amen. Amen. Ray's going to end with a song. The ushers are, are going to come forward if you'd like to give. If you need prayer this morning, Pastor Jeff will be up here in the front, and he'd be more than glad to pray for you. All right? God bless you. Maybe somebody wants to come up and pray for the giants. I don't know.